When I was in college, there was this popular TV show called The Jerry Springer Show. And on my floor, there was about five to 10 guys that would cram into a little tiny dorm room and they would watch it every single night. I think it was a rerun. By then the show was in syndication. And they would, if you, if you don't know the show, uh, the, the format was bringing people uh, up on a stage and there's a, a live studio audience and they would talk about these gut-wrenching, horrible, dysfunctional problems between people and um, the crowd would, would jeer people on as, as, as people, whether they were sincere or not, I have no clue, as these people were trying to work out very real, deep problems uh, the crowd would goad them into uh, just uh, talking. And I, I, I tried watching this with some of my friends for a couple of times because I wanted to fit in. And it bugged me to no end because uh, I hate it when people don't get along. Like it's, I'm that person in the family, like everybody stop fighting. I don't necessarily always have a, uh, the solution, but th the conflict made it so uncomfortable for me to watch. And because these people, they would just yell at each other and no one was listening to the other one and the crowd loved it. And I didn't have words to express it at the time, but it made me so uncomfortable that, that these people were, were putting their lives out there, deep personal stuff. And the, the producers of the show and the crowd were just goading these people on and for, for just entertainment. And um, the dysfunction just oozed off of the screen. And it really bugged me. And uh, I stopped watching the show. I, I, I didn't like it. I, uh, I was no saint, but I was like, that one, I just can't go there. And uh, as, as the years have gone on, I've seen that, um, I've seen that, that, that uh, dynamic ooze out into other conversations, other TV shows, other uh, news outlets, and even in uh, the church of Jesus, like uh, of people just screaming about a problem and not listening to the other person. And um, it's, it's a huge problem. We've seen that happen over the past couple of years, especially uh, continue to escalate. And it, I, I take a little bit of comfort from knowing that it's not a new problem. Uh, it may have become louder. It may have, we have more ways to view it now with the internet and social media and all of that stuff, but it's not new. And uh, there's this writer, and I believe he was the brother of Jesus, who wrote this letter to address issues like this and to say, like, there's a different way for us to live as Jesus followers, where we don't have to get sucked into that, that dynamic of just yelling, trying to fix a problem and not listening to anybody else. And today we're going to go through a passage that has, it, it's, it's packed with a bunch of proverbs, and it'll, it'll con, uh, contrast one idea with another. And uh, I believe it has a lot to say to us today uh, and, and how we can live and, and gives us a picture of what the Christian faith is to look like, but also a, a way that we can actually make the world better. So if you turn in your Bibles uh, or navigate to your Bibles to James chapter 1, uh, and we'll, we'll pick up in verse 19, and he says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. 
because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God, our Father, accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, there's a lot in there. We could be here for quite a while, but today um, I want to point a few things out here as we're, as we're going through all of this wisdom that James was giving uh, to, to Jewish background churches in the first century. Uh, and uh, as I was reading through this, I kept thinking about uh, these human-produced proverbs, these human wisdom proverbs, like a stitch in time saves nine kind of know what that is. Uh, one that I've never, like, uh, it took a while to understand, a rolling stone gathers no moss. <laughs> the first time a family member told me that, I was like, what? Like, what, what, are you, what are you saying about Mick Jagger? Like, of course he wouldn't have moss on him. Like, uh, so there's all these kinds of proverbs that we learn very on early in life. And uh, especially when I was a kid, uh, we would jeer each other and taunt each other with sticks and stones would break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And as we were telling all kinds of jokes and, and poking fun at each other, and, um, and that was the comeback. Oh, sticks are, I'm rubber and you're glue. Whatever you say to me bounces off and sticks to you. And, there was, and it just went on and on and on. But... Um, those proverbs are misleading though, especially the one about sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Like, my goodness, I had somebody in fifth grade rip me up one side and down the other with words. Uh, and Marcy Schaefer, if you're watching, I totally forgive you. <laughs> it's like, I've moved past it. You know, the, but words do hurt. Like you can recover from a broken leg. You can recover from a broken arm. And we see this in our culture all over today. But if someone smears your good name, somebody tells lies about you, and especially if other people believe them, I mean, it, it, can, be, it can make your life incredibly difficult. You may never get the job you want. Uh, people may never trust you ever again because of words that people have said about you. Friends, even family can turn away from you because of words. Words have the power, the potential, the, the potential energy to be terrible things and they can leave lasting wounds. And we see that on all sides of the spectrum with cancel culture. We had uh, with words that we've said uh, a long time ago that have come back to haunt us or words that other people say about words that we said 10, 15, 20 years ago that are coming back. Like words, 
now more than ever are a really big deal. And James in this passage, he introduces uh, a huge key theme. We're just going through the first one. He talks about the word of God that's been planted in us. And this word isn't just information transfer. It actually changes us from the inside out. But the key theme here is that the dangerous power of the human tongue. And we have a tremendous power. You know, like God spoke all of this into existence. Genesis 1, let there be light. And because when we surrender to Jesus, we get to partner with God. And now a huge part of that is co-creating the world with the words that we use. We can speak life over death, over situations, uh, with our tongue. It's all connected to to what God, uh, what James has said about God's word. It isn't just information transfer. It does things and changes things. God's word in us brings about new uh, life and, and it changes the lasting state of the affairs of this world. So in this passage, we see God's word going to work in people. James is painting a picture like here's what it looks like. It's not all this yelling and screaming and not listening. Like when you have God's work in your, God's word in your heart and it's changing you, you're able to actually hear the people on the other side of the conversation and interact with them. And this warning about human words going to work, uh, he's taking us in a different direction. And like I mentioned before, so often as we work through this, uh, these texts, uh, in James, what you hold, when you hold different ideas side by side from one paragraph to another, a much, much bigger picture comes uh, emerges so to start uh, there's this theme that early christian writers emphasized uh, the danger of words and the danger of human anger and james has been emphasizing earlier the need for patience the need for trust that god is at work and anger is it's one of those things that happens when our patience reaches our limit Parents of toddlers, can I get a good amen? It's, uh, and these days, it feels like almost everybody, our patients, like we're ready to snap. Uh, in, in verse 19 to 21, just as a review, James says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So he's applying this teaching about patience in a particular direction with, the, with how we channel our anger. It's going to happen. And anger in and of itself isn't a sin. It's a warning light. It's, a, it's almost that, uh, that engine light. They're like, okay, I see it. I need to stop. I need to breathe. I need to get out of fight or flight. Because uh, uh, when our world gets out of whack, It's easy to think that your anger will put things straight. Well, I'll just tell them like it is. I'll straighten them out. Wait till they get home. As soon as I hear that garage door open, I'm going to tell her. I've got everything written on a sticky note, so I say it just right. Like James here is saying, okay, when you feel that, hold on a second. That's 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 the the yellow light is on. Hit the brakes. We need to look to Jesus. Uh, uh, and, And James isn't alone in saying like, okay, we need to be very careful about our anger. 
Uh, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, 26 and 27 says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. So Paul allows that there may be a type of anger that is appropriate. You know, you may um, get, you will get angry, but hold on, don't let that go into sin. Um, and, and just so you know, like if you're fighting with your spouse and it's 3 a.m. and you're using this verse to work it out, as a pastor, I give you permission to go to bed. <laughs> Please, like, Paul isn't saying fight it out uh, it, until five in the morning. Uh, he's saying, hold on, like, when you're angry, like, you just need to, to back off and cool down so that this anger doesn't, and don't hold on to it. Um, don't let it grow. It's like a fungus and if, or an infection, and what you allow to stay in your heart, um, it, it will get infected. But practically speaking, you may need to sleep on it and things may look a little bit better in the morning and you can um, uh, talk about things in a more clear-headed way but uh, the main point is that anger must be kept in its place like it is a big deal and and james is hinting at the similar idea when he says be slow to anger just like we're slow to speak Uh, i love that other proverb even a fool is thought wise when they keep their mouth shut Um, just not everything that pops up in the old noggin needs to come out of the mouth. And um, it's, a, it's a very good habit to, uh, to develop, to have an actual filter. Yes, we need to speak the truth, but make sure that it's not spoken in anger. It takes a long time to develop that habit and to cultivate that. And so we're not going to get it perfect. But the point is, if what we want is actually God's justice, if we want that, if we want God coming into a situation, into our world, into our nation, into our towns, into our relationships, we want God coming to sort things out, we will do so much better to get out of God's way and to let God do the work rather than imposing our bursts of anger. And it'll most likely have all sorts of nasty stuff to it when we let that come out. It'll, it'll result and sound like wounded pride. It'll sound like malice. It'll sound like envy. Like God, when we, when we surrender and let God somehow help, uh, we, can, we can partner with God. Uh, when our anger is in the right place, when our focus is in the right place, and we can actually have the privilege of partnering with God to get what needs to be done, to get that done. So the way God works in us and through us is not by taking our malice and our anger and our tempers and somehow like making it all go away. Like the way God works is through his word. The way God works is is for us to be continually reminded of who we are. This is our story. And this is in the scriptures. God has, has shown us the best way of being human, the best way of being a husband, a, an employee, a parent, a grandparent. Like, this is the way God works at us. And on our own, we'll just fly off, off the handle. But God's saying, uh, James is saying here, like, no, 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 no. We need to cultivate the habit of surrendering that stuff and, and asking God to help us channel our righteous anger or unrighteous anger into the right place. So, Earlier in the uh, 
In the previous passage, James spoke of the word in terms of giving birth to us as new creatures. Like when we surrender to Jesus, this is like uh, making us new from the inside out, just like at the beginning of, of the whole universe. Like in here, with help from another passage in Isaiah, God's word will not come back void. God's word, another translation says, God's word doesn't return empty. Uh, as a youth pastor, I used to tell that to, to parents all the time of, of kids that were raised in the church and raised in a, in a Jesus-loving home. And they seem to lose their mind for, for a little bit and saying, okay, this is going to be our prayer, that God's word won't come back empty. You've placed the right things in them. They know the truth of Jesus. And yeah, right now, their discipleship journey isn't a straight line. It's, it's a zigzag and backward and forward. But this promise uh, and I know that my mom and my grandma and my parents, they had to pray that over me a lot. Oh, oh, Mike's, Mike's lost his mind for a while, but God, we're trusting that your word will not come back empty. And James sees God's word in terms of something of being sown or planted, something that produces a, a beautiful harvest, a beautiful tree, a, a bush, like that, that it, it takes time. To, to cultivate and to grow. So first in James, we're to have a listening first disposition. Boy, I'm so glad James straightened everybody out in the first century. It's like now that he's written this, every culture around the world has a listening first disposition, right? Oh, oh my goodness, this is so practical for today. Like we imagine if we just took this one little proverb and said, we're gonna listen first before we're the, the expert on something or before we just fly off at the handle and make sure, what if like, we just, for the next week, said uh, before I respond to somebody to set them straight, what if I listened first and then asked two clarifying questions to somebody that I, that I disagree with and, and without any stank on it? Uh, what if, or, or okay, maybe even back that up a little bit. What if, we get into a situation that makes us angry and we said, before anything comes out of my mouth, I'm going to take 30 seconds. I'm gonna get a watch, I'm gonna get a phone and watch the timer and I'm just going to breathe for 30 seconds. What if, what if everyone in the world, Christian and non-Christian, did that? How would, how would our social media feeds change? How would our families, how would our families benefit from that? of just the simple proverb of a listening first disposition. But James doesn't stop there. James challenges us. He challenged these first readers and he challenges you and me to put into practice the things that we hear. This leads to speaking the truth in love. And I'm not saying at all, and well, James isn't saying at all that we just agree with everybody. No, we can have opinions about things. We can, we can have passionate discussions about things. That's healthy. But he's, uh, we, we are to speak the truth, uh, but we're to speak it in love and keeping the main thing the main thing. And in first century culture, the most vulnerable among them were widows and orphans. What if we kept the big picture, like what God cares about, first and foremost in our minds. Like, all right, we need to, to make sure that we are doing everything we can and that our lifestyle like, is, is pointed towards the things that God cares about 
in being wholeheartedly devoted to God in the things that we do and how we live our lives. Um, that in keeping the main thing, the main thing. But, but how does this happen? Uh, what I notice here in this passage that we've read, I was like, this is 2,000 years ago. I was like, realizing that every generation in the church has rightly worried about people who just glide along, seeming like to enjoy what they, what they can from being in the community, enjoying what they hear about church, but it's not really making a difference. You know, especially when I was younger, I would really rail on, oh, those nominal Christians. They're not really hardcore because I'm hardcore and I have it together. But those, those people that are just going through the motions, they don't really get it. Like we sometimes say that. And it's comforting in a way to know that James, like his congregations, his church in Jerusalem and the other ones in the Roman Empire, they were facing the exact same problem in the first generation. People that were happy to listen to all of these wonderful proverbs, all these wonderful good news. Uh, and, and presumably, this is teachings from the Old Testament and the message about Jesus. They would hear all that stuff and they would go away with it, without it affecting them very much. And uh, there's a lot of truth uh, to, that, to that worry, the discipleship in the, the, the church um, and I'm, I'm not big on saying the church in America. I don't know what happens in every church in America. I can barely keep up with, with solid ground. But like, uh, it's a concern of people like they've said a prayer and they've intellectually ascended to a faith in Jesus Christ, but where's the fruit? Are they, They're still going around the same tree of sin or the same dysfunction, the same hurtful habits and hangups and all of those things. But uh, this, has been a, this has been a dynamic for a long time and here, James uses this really interesting illustration of a mirror. And we could preach about mirrors for a long time, and maybe we will someday. But here he talks about this interesting mirror thing, because in, in, in James's day, hardly anybody had their portrait painted, and realism wasn't even a thing. That's a whole art discussion. But not many people possessed mirrors. And if you did happen to catch sight of yourself in a mirror, you, uh, for once, like you could easily forget it once you walked away because you didn't have it in the morning uh, and look at it all the time. Uh, like, I love watching people look at themselves in a mirror, like in a in a in a hotel lobby or a store, and like, everyone always like your eyes are just drawn to it. Um, again, in college, I'm remembering on the way to class we had this room with it's kind of like a museum, and we all called it the Hall of Mirrors, and it was supposed to have like. Uh, a, a really old Bible and history about the, the university. No one ever looked at that stuff. They're on their way to class, checking their hair, checking, checking their shirts, making sure it's still in dress code and all that stuff. And James here is saying, listening to the truth about God, listening to what the truth is about us, and then walking away and not doing it, not putting it into practice, is like looking at a mirror and forgetting what you look like. That's what it's like for James, for someone to hear God's word. One quick glance. Oh, okay, got it. That's interesting. And then they walk away and forget it and carry on just like before. Or uh, I love it when, when, uh, when pastors, and I, I hear this a lot, that talk about God's grace and people are like, let's get to the deep stuff. Um, like, oh yeah, 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 got it. No, like this is God's word. This is actually who we are. 
Like, let's not forget what we look like. So James's remedy for this is to remind us that the word of Scripture and the message about Jesus, uh, of what it is, he calls it the perfect law of freedom. Perfect law of freedom. There it is again, the contrast between two different ideas. Like law and freedom, I mean, this is America. You know, for us, that can sound like, wait a minute, don't, don't tell me what to do. It sounds like a contradiction of, term, uh, of terms. How can a law be part of freedom? Isn't the law something that restricts your freedom and stops you from doing what you want? Like, yeah, yes and no. There it is again. Supposing we didn't have a law about which side of the road we drive on. I mean, what if everyone just drove wherever they wanted and did their own thing? It would be absolute chaos. And we wouldn't be able to go anywhere quickly for fear you didn't know where, you, we wouldn't know where people were coming from. Like when my wife and I lived in Japan, it was a great place to go jogging. Well, the country's like 80% of the country's covered in mountains, so hills. And I remember, especially my first six months living there, going jogging was absolutely uh, terrifying because they drive on a different side of the road. <laughs> so I'm looking for the car to come and I'm running and all of a sudden, beep, I almost got hit by a car. We drive on different sides of the road, knowing which side of the road on, uh, knowing which side of the road to drive on or that people are driving on. Not only does it set you free, it keeps you safe. It, it, it saved my life once I learned which side of the road, which side to look on, depending on what part of the world I'm in. That's what God's law is like. By restricting our freedom in some ways, it, and what it restricts us from doing are, is going down a path that leads to death. It opens up far greater, far more genuine freedoms in every single way. And the point is this. When you look into the law, the word of God, it's supposed to, it's designed to change you from the inside out. The word must go to work. I love the quote uh, from Dallas Willard, the, the guy who wrote extensively on spiritual formation and uh, becoming, you know, living life with Jesus and becoming like Jesus. He says, this isn't opposed, this, this good news, this gospel isn't opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Earning is the attitude. So I'm not talking here about, about just um, being a, a, a well-behaved boy or girl. Like what we're talking about is, is letting these words plant seeds of truth. And as we water them, like it, we're talking about this changing us from the inside out. The word must go to work. And when that happens, God's blessing that is, like God's enrichment of your life in all these kinds of new ways, it will follow. And uh, James, super practical. After all of these glorious theological theories of, of uh, mirrors and not forgetting who you are and what, what, what you look like and, and talking about uh, being slow to anger and, and guarding our tongue, he comes back to earth like boom, like Basically, putting in my own words, like this pious person with a foul mouth, it's a contradiction in terms. Verse 20 says, human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Such a person living like that, 
is, is lying to themselves, uh, but nobody else. Everybody else sees it. Uh, James doesn't immediately say what the solution is here, but he says in effect, like, all right, you want to follow in God's way? Like, here's how. Uh, there are people out there that need your help. Let's keep the main thing the main thing, everybody. And there's a messy world out there, a messed up world out there that will try to change your life too. I mean, all, all this goes back to that image of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. Which one are we going to choose from? When we choose to try to make the world better through our anger and through what we can do, my goodness, we're going to eat from, from death. We're gonna, we can choose life or death. But when we say, God, I'm going to walk with you. Help me. I surrender to you. Show me what to do with this anger. God, I trust you to set things right. What is your heart for this situation? Like the widows and orphans, who are the most vulnerable? Uh, God, help me to reframe the things that I want. Change even the desires of my heart and help them to match up with what you want. And when we're walking in step with Jesus, like it does change even, even the things that we want and our priorities are different. Like that's the challenge like the, that we make sure that we focus on the main thing. And after reading about, uh, you know, putting God's word in us, reading the Bible, watching the words that come out of our mouth, like, okay, that's the second thing, and, and being slow to anger, so let's get that temper, uh, temper tantrums under control. There you go, everybody. There's your to-do list. That's what you, get. that's what you can do. No, like this isn't a to-do list. This is a picture of what it looks like when we walk in step with Jesus. This isn't a thing like, okay, first thing today, I'm not going to lose my temper. Like, I'm going to do it. No, that's not how it works. Because on our own strength, these things are absolutely impossible. The, the invitation here is for us to walk with Jesus. Originally, the followers of Jesus didn't call themselves Christians. They were followers of the way, the way of Jesus. And we will get out of step from time to time. And when we do, it's not like, okay, we're starting over. It's, okay, I'm gonna get back in step. Jesus, help. As we walk with Jesus, as we walk in community with each other over time and confessing when we mess it up, when we, when we miss the mark and point our hearts back towards Jesus, eventually these seeds, and as we go back to the mirror and say, okay, this is who God says I am. This is how, what the world is supposed to look like. Not only do your desires change over time, not only uh, that, your thoughts will change. Like Paul says, we'll be transformed by the renewing of our mind and we have this anchor that no matter what other people are doing, no matter who else has lost their mind, we can come back and say, I'm not, I'm not gonna let that throw me off. I'm gonna come back to God's word and it's gonna remind me of who I am. And that gives us an anchor. And we're free to enter into discussions. We're free to go out into the world and, and not be tossed around so much because we know who we are and we know whose we are. And then uh, the words that come out of our mouth, they will be ones that make peace. They will be ones that, that bring people together. They will be the truth uh, when we've listened. And, and when we've listened to uh, what God says, we'll have the wisdom uh, to walk forward. So this week, the challenge is 
you're going to get angry about something. Something you see, something somebody tells you. When that happens, I invite you just to take 10 breaths. Maybe, maybe you don't have a watch or stopwatch, but just, it's like the old thing. Like count to 10 <laughs> before you do anything. And, and make sure that you're not out of step with God. And, and to pray this prayer, God, I can't, but you can. And invite God to, to live this life as you walk with Jesus, to, that God will empower you. And that, I think that's enough because that takes a lot of effort. It's, this isn't easy stuff. And the biggest effort, the biggest challenge to me is just surrendering control. And, and, and when I get out of step, pointing my heart back to Jesus and saying, God, I can't, but you can through me, help. And as we do that, I think after months, years, decades, we'll look back over our shoulder and, and we'll see, like, oh my goodness, God, you've done so much through me, through my family and in me and in my family. But as a church family, now more than ever, the world needs people that are letting God do this work in them. People that are slow, slow to speak, and people who are channeling their anger in the right places and people who are entering into their everyday life with the anchor of knowing who they are and, and letting God fix the world and partnering with God to fix the world. So may this week, God help you to keep the main thing, the main thing. Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, we need your help to do this. God, we, we repent of all the ways that we've missed the mark, we turn our hearts towards you and ask that you would fill us in this moment with your spirit, that, that you would um, draw us together in such a new and profound way, even, even with our online campus. Oh, my goodness, we, we need the support and encouragement of our friends to, uh, to make sure that we don't forget who you say we are. In the mighty and strong and powerful name of Jesus, we pray, amen. So we will be back next week. In the meantime, please don't hesitate to visit us at sgbic.com. We're there. Reach out to us if you need anything. If you've got a story about what God is doing in your life, we want to hear about it. If you have a prayer request, we want to know and be a part of what's going on in your life. You can always reach us at sgbic.com or you can leave a comment right here where you're watching this or send us a direct message too and we will get back to you. So until then, may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine down upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. May, may you hear God's voice reminding you of who you are and whose you are. And may this week you profoundly sense God's presence in your life. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, amen. <laughs>